0: this is not just any podcast this is the decolonizing contraception collective podcast the sex agenda
1: (laughs) oh my god okay that's it that's the intro
0: The Sex Agenda podcast may contain references to sexual violence, sexual assault, or sexual oppression. Our listeners' well-being is our priority. Please feel free to tune out if you need to.
1: Hello! Hi! (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode 8 of The Sex Agenda with my wonderful co-host Annabelle. Annabelle, say hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Welcome. You were ready.
0: You're um, listening to episode eight of The Sex Agenda Sexuality and Sensuality.
1: Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to get straight into it. So. Things have been happening, my dear. Things, things have been happening. People have been moving mad. Is all I can say. So our first news topic is about Poland. So a top court in Poland has banned all all terminations. It's it's ridiculous. It's really it's, it's really something. It is really something. <laughs> you know. Actually, I abortion on the ground of severe and irreversible fetal defect or incurable illness that threatens the fetus' life.
0: It's it's wild, but I think the only good thing to come out of this is the images that I've been seeing on social media right. of um, protesters showing solidarity, coming together, and saying, "You know, this isn't this isn't what we want," because it really was a select few people in a room mostly cisgendered men deciding that you know this was not something that people needed.
1: Such such a shame honestly but like you said you know we've seen a lot of protests people have come out on the streets in protest and we've seen solidarity as well so abortion support network here um in the UK has already raised funds to support people who need abortions, who need to travel, are going to be able to support people who need to travel to get abortions. But it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we're in the middle of the pandemic of all the things that people should be occupied with. Here you are in people's uteruses business, and y'all need to just back the fuck off.
0: Well, what else to say, really? But um I hope it gets overturned. And okay It's not just about screaming for screaming's sake. It's really about the fact that uh one of my consultants um told me that the reason he started doing abortions was really because of his experiences of working in uh Nigeria where abortion um is illegal and seeing women dying from botch jobs. Um, and perforating their uterus and you know often young women that didn't have the funds to go abroad or go somewhere else and it just made him feel like well we have to save lives and do this safely because the data shows time and time again and you know it's not like we have to imagine the circumstances if abortion is illegal there are multiple countries where this is the case and obviously now um Poland and you know we know that abortion rates don't go down you just get more dead women and it's a shame that people don't look at the evidence and see that right so so that sucks on to other other news so tier three um, so we've obviously got the different tiers now in England in relation to trying to um, control the spread of COVID. So tier three also means that couples living apart and not in each other's support bubble are not allowed to meet indoors. So ultimately, no, no nookie tonight. Nookie nookie. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No. <laughs> now uh, is, now it's a good time for us to actually put out the codes for the websites where people can get stuff for self-pleasure. And I mean, I don't want to brag and I don't want to reveal my own going ins, but I have shopped at a certain website for quite a while. Now I have free delivery um, on everything <laughs> that I buy. <laughs> I don't laugh. anything that I buy henceforth. I'm investing in some rechargeable batteries because I don't know what the next couple of months is going to be like. Once people start shopping, things move a bit mad. So you need to be prepared.
0: I have to say, I feel sorry for my people in Wales. Well, to be honest, they're doing them dirty anyway. Um, Obviously, if you see non-essential goods and obviously what someone's essential with someone else is non-essential. Right. Seemingly, alcohol always ends up being essential. So we saw today some dodginess with um, Tesco apparently accidentally shutting off the period pad aisles which is a madness but apparently they've come out and said that was an error and they weren't following the government guidelines but government guidelines seemed very uh, and still seem quite unclear about what is considered essential or not so it's kind of been left to individual stores to to work out but on that note i was just thinking i'm guessing they're not allowed to get their sex toys either
1: okay somebody needs to tell us whether this is true or we need to do research because that can't be true come on
0: you know what? Well, no, obviously they're not considered essential, right? So I'm sure people are. Were...
1: I'm sending all my love and solidarity to people in Wales.
0: Hopefully, people were well stocked up before this ban yeah. came into place. Yeah. So, on from the sex ban. Last week, there is an all-party parliamentary group on endometriosis. So, for people that don't know, endometriosis is a condition where you get growth of womb tissue, and endometrial tissue abnormally um, outside the womb lining, this can cause very painful periods, it can cause pain during intercourse, if it's quite extensive it can cause bladder and bowel symptoms and the whole experience can be really debilitating and then also um, for people that have severe endometriosis they might have to have several different surgeries as well as um, experience infertility issues and we do have members of the collective and people that we work with that do live with endometriosis and it can be a really difficult condition so they did a, a report on endometriosis in the UK and yet, I mean, the findings weren't dissimilar to findings that have been reported by Endometriosis Charity UK. And it just really shows that people's pain is just not really being taken seriously. And I think it really boils down to, you know, these historical issues within medicine about like women and hysteria and like phantom pelvic pain
1: it's really unfortunate and it's really sad and it just speaks to like what Annabelle said like a a problem in the medical sector and healthcare where people aren't believed people aren't being taken seriously I mean one of the things that I noted in the report that the NICE guidelines so that's the National Institute for Health and Care Health and Care Excellence Guidelines on Diagnosis and Management of Endometriosis in 2017, that's when the guidelines came out, sets out the NHS baseline for endometriosis care. Despite being adopted by the NHS in each nation of the UK, the NICE guidelines has not been implemented. So it's like, you know, things are happening, you know, people are trying to get this on the agenda, people trying to get this moving. NICE is involved, but obviously there's a bit of a disconnect because we have guidelines and they're not being implemented.
0: I think one thing that really stands out for me is um, the wait times around people getting help so it takes an average of eight years for somebody with endometriosis to receive a diagnosis so that's a staggering amount of time and usually during that time People will have been passed through various services, diagnosed with things like pelvic inflammatory disease, potentially like as people saying as a consequence of um, an STI or something like that. And I I see people that are affected by endometriosis quite regularly or have suspected endometriosis and it can only be conclusively diagnosed with something called a laparoscopy. So that's a camera test into the tummy and you have to be put under a general anaesthetic um, usually they're quite straightforward and quite short, but obviously if you have extensive endometriosis they might actually be quite tricky. So because people have to be put to sleep, especially now because of COVID, we can treat it before you're diagnosed. It's like usually like the combined pill or having some kind of hormonal therapy like the Marina, the Marina IUS. But it can be really challenging because um, a lot of people don't want those things unless they have a definitive answer because they don't get on well with hormones. In the report, it says about fifty-eight percent of patients visited their GP over ten times. And yeah, from my experience, I, I think these statistics, yeah, that they, quite accurate a lot of the time. By by the time somebody arrives at diagnosis, they've just been passed around. And I think it's quite it raises quite an interesting question. I'm not really sure what you think, Adam but around how people perceive women navigating health systems. So I had this conversation with one of my colleagues, and it was just really around how often, you know, it's just considered that women can cope with pain. So it's like, oh, your period's not that bad. Whereas if a man's in pain people tend to take it a bit more seriously because it's seen as like oh, men don't really go to hospitals. so if they go to hospital it must be something serious whereas if a woman goes to hospital or goes to the doctor they're just being a bit hysterical.
1: Right this this reminds me of um, a thing that happened last week so I got on a phone call with a couple of friends and when I got on, I said, yeah, I, I, I I didn't sound good when I got on the phone call. So it was a, it was a, um, a woman and a man and my male friend said, Oh, um, what's going on? I think, Oh, I think it's, it might be like my period, something. He was like, Oh, that's not that bad. And immediately, me and my other friend went, Excuse me, <laughs> what, do what do you mean? He was like, Oh, no, no, no. I, like, generally, this my friend is really good on a lot of things. I think he just got caught up in this. <laughs> we just decided to push it as far as we could. And he went, No, 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 I didn't mean we're like, oh, Yeah, he was like, Well, I thought you meant like, you know, and we're like, Yeah, but even still, like, even if it's every month, you know, like, it is really bad and he was like yeah yeah, no I know and yeah we just got in a bit of a bind and I just thought it was really funny that obviously socialized as a man your first perspective is someone says period it's like oh you know that you do go through that every month so that's not an issue like you saying oh I'm in in a bit of discomfort or pain or whatever isn't registering as a thing that you know somebody should pay attention to because it's something you go through all the time.
0: We're doing a project um, at the moment with Bloody Good Period and um hopefully we'll have Deanne on the podcast at some point to talk about her work. But this is one of the kind of key issues that again with menstruation, it's very much like seen as like only 50% of the population's issue. And it's strange to me that like at school people hide pads up their sleeve.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And you like have to even in the even as a grown adult when you go to a restaurant or something like that people sneak their tampon they'll give their friend a tampon under the table do you know what I mean it's just actually very weird how like stigmatizing it is to have periods when actually you know a lot of people have obviously periods and then also people a lot of people have partners who have periods mm-hmm so like even if they don't have one themselves either their partner their sister their mother or someone they know had has a period that they interact with quite regularly and they must have been around somebody whilst they're menstruating and having period pain so I don't know why we all behave like it's like <laughs> it's this non-existent like it's weird it's actually super weird like the more I think about it like yeah, right, how we like so weird. like in like even when people go and buy pads at the till, like people do it in this really like awkward, I mean, I don't anymore. Like I'm very comfortable buying um, period pads and period stuff at the till. But like, I know for a lot of people, it's like quite an awkward thing. And then even if you can buy it at the till, how often do you see people openly hand someone in a pad in public or that kind of thing? When actually... It happens almost as much as somebody asking for a tissue.
1: Or a chewing gum.
2: It's bizarre.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think we definitely need to do a lot more to normalise period products and stop acting like it's this, you know.
0: I challenge listeners that next time you are you got you get caught short you don't have a tampon or a pad on you ask your friend for it but do it openly like why are you going to the toilet to hide it doing it under the table whatever or anything like I have to be honest I do actually practice like I, I do follow this advice like so as I said I'm very very open because I don't see why I shouldn't be open with asking for products if I need them but I'm usually fairly prepared and I use um, a moon cup anyway
1: aren't they moon cups great oh my god I only started using them recently I swear I feel like it's changed my life
0: Yeah, so we should definitely have this conversation about like different menstrual products because I came across uh, menstrual cups first like several, several years ago. I think I was at a festival, they had a stand there and my friends that were with me were all like, oh, this is like some climate eco-friendly thing that's maybe just like a bit too radical and far-fetched for us. How is this gonna work? It seems super unhygienic. But if you have a like medium to heavy flow, They actually can revolutionize the game, especially obviously if you travel, no one's doing that so much right now, not carrying products on you and stuff like that. It is very, very easy. So I actually encourage people to try. And also I encourage people to understand that there's actually different brands that have different sizing. So it can take some time to find the right size. Some may be a bit uncomfortable, cause cramping or just like not sit right. Um, but most of the time most will be fairly okay you could just get a better fit but yeah definitely something to to check out for people who haven't tried it before
1: okay so move on to our next story which is about hiv treatment that's being sort of pioneered at the moment it's a hiv injection and it's gotten an eu panel endorsement so the european committee for medical products for human use uh the european medicines agency has basically endorsed it and it's looking to be confirmed in the next couple of months and it's a treatment it's a long acting regimen which can reduce the number of doses required to 12 or six per year instead sort of daily intake for pills and that's for people living with hiv um if approved it'll be the first complete long acting hiv regimen requiring dosing just once in Three months and that's in the eu region and it's a combination the combination as an injection is already approved in canada and is currently under review in the united states so yeah i i thought that there was this was a bit of a step up in terms of like technology and different ways in which um, people living with hiv can continue to have their treatment and yeah just wanted to share i think it's um it's exciting obviously we'll have to see and obviously despite this being available you know People still have the option to take their daily pills if they like. But I, I think that the idea of there being different options that people can have, I think, is ultimately a good thing. What do you think, Annabelle?
0: So I think giving people more options, just like with contraception, like having an injectable version um, rather than pills. Some people really struggle to remember it, um, remember daily pills pills can be a, a little bit large so it can really help some people might also really help young people in particular for my msc thesis i actually looked at adherence to anti-retroviral medication um, in malawi for an msf project and one of the things Around that was really young people trying to take pills discreetly when they hadn't disclosed their status to their peers or their family. And obviously, we aim and strive for a society where HIV is no longer stigmatized, but in this country and in lots of parts of the world we're not we're not there yet so this could really really help I'm not a HIV specialist so I'd have to defer to some of my colleagues but I know that there are some concerns that maybe um, if people didn't come back for their injection or that kind of thing and all the injections may cause some resistance um, to some of the antiretroviral so I guess we have to wait and we have to wait and see but I think we love options and the more options the merrier often so I think that's that's really exciting. There's something I just want to just touch upon really quickly in relation to just like how COVID is affecting childbirth. So I, during lockdown, basically, I found out a lot of my friends are pregnant. (laughs) Uh, Lockdown babies, um, which is amazing and um, very, very exciting. Slightly annoying because I thought we were going to come out of COVID at some stage and do like hot girl summer and go to Ibiza. I'm I'm ready
1: for hot girl summer. It's going to be you and me. I'll call you up. No worries. I got you, boo. Some of
0: my other babes have deserted me. (laughs) No, but on a very serious note. I just feel like some um, one of them delivered the other week and um I have other friends that delivered during lockdown and they weren't allowed to have their partners with them during the delivery um, and some of them their babies have been unwell so they've had to be kept in and then there was very minimal time for their partners being allowed to visit and this is still kind of an ongoing issue and I think somebody started a petition around it um, and just how the situation is being handled obviously some centres that have more money have done things and got iPads and stuff for some of the district general hospitals that have less money so it's like a bit of a postcode lottery as well about like what measures are in place and it just seems it seems really unfair when people are allowed to go to the pub so I just find the whole thing like very very inconsistent I think we have to socially distance and we have to keep people safe but I think on this issue around partners and um delivery it just seems to be wildly inconsistent more needs to be needs to be done and um yeah i just hope that fewer couples don't miss out on really um important memories you know
1: i mean it is a shame isn't it like you know what people would class as you know probably like a massive highlight of their lives obviously we have to do what we can like ultimately safety and slowing the spread and keeping people safe is the priority but you're absolutely right some of these measures and some of these policies aren't being applied consistently and don't make sense they don't make sense why is it that we're allowed to go to pubs and we're allowed to go out to restaurants and places are still open but if Somebody has taken all the measures that they've been asked to take in order to be there to see a child come into this world. They're being prevented from doing that all in the name of, you know, stopping the spread, which I understand, but it's not consistent with everybody else being able to go to the pub. So you're absolutely right in raising this. It has to be consistent, especially at a time where, you know, if people are bringing life into this world, they want their partners to be there to share that with them and that not happening and and I'm sure seeing people being able to go to the pubs I'm sure it's going to make people really upset because again it's not very consistent and and that needs to change but I mean unfortunately that has been like the tagline of this current the pandemic and the couple of you know six seven months we've been in it's just like things not being consistent
0: yeah. I just feel very strongly about birth partners, especially amongst marginalized groups, when actually often your birth partner, sometimes they can or they can't be, but they need to often be an advocate for that that birthing person, the birthing mother, because often, you know, you that person can be in a lot of pain. They might not be able to articulate themselves if they're not there during the delivery or allowed to visit in the subsequent days afterwards yeah i just feel that sometimes people may not feel like they're getting what they need at their most vulnerable and we've seen the data uh, particularly um the racialized inequalities um for black women in childbirth and i just think that removing someone's birth partner from the picture is just yeah i just think it's it's not acceptable it's not like having a visitor um at any other time right that person has a fundamental role to play in that person receiving good care um so yeah i think i think hopefully things improve and i know people are trying to mobilize and talk about this issue more yeah. but i think if we're going to be in this for a long time there needs to be a consistent plan around this issue because I actually fear that it's gonna lead somebody to experience harm. So yeah, that that I thought I would just just throw out there my little nugget of um yeah, I thought I'd throw that out there. So that's a wrap on our new cycle. We're gonna talk about sex now.
1: <laughs>
2: are we always
0: talking about sex? Oh. We are, but we're gonna talk about smell the sexy sensual i love the way that our next guest armaz who is an amazing member of the collective and a journalist extraordinaire says she has this phrase that she says sexy stories and i almost like oh what's Ooh. that
1: So today we have a special and wonderful well everybody that comes on this spe- podcast is special and wonderful at this point so yeah we have another special and wonderful guest with us someone that we have the pleasure of working with in the collective who I just think is like amazing smart wonderful brilliant like I remember the first time I met her I was a little bit in awe to be honest so we've got Alma's Ohene with us today pick up another Ghanaian. uh-huh yay uh, <laughs> i'm
0: outnumbered rescue me
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) when your people are here i don't say anything (laughs) we've got the wonderful almas with us who is an award-winning creative copywriter and freelance journalist she was a finalist for journalist of the year of the sexual health awards which just just shows you how brilliant she is at what she does. She's the founder of Kaylee Daniels oh, Dated, which is a Keep web platform a combining sexy stories with informative sexual health features. She writes on sexuality for leading publications, British Vogue, Campaign, Refining 29, stylist, Vice. Did I say that this person is amazing? Did I not say that already? Amaz? <laughs> I fangirl you so much, you're like, what's going on?
2: I find it really hard to take compliments.
1: Oh, take it. You're wonderful. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> so Almas mess- I know I've introduced you, but you know, I tell the people in your own words who you are.
2: Um, I'm just a sexuality fan. Um before lockdown, sex was one of my hobbies, but now it's just solo sex, which is quite sad. Um, <laughs> how do we spice we need to spice that up though because if solo sex is all we've got you know oh no i'm trying i'm trying um, <laughs> i have been i have actually been dating a bit and having sex with a couple of people um we've been really trying to be covid safe yeah i feel like lockdown
0: has um rained on a lot of people's sex parade really and people have had to get innovative um also a lot of good websites out there including shush were doing discounts during lockdown they had you to go and get your toy fill
1: at this point i've ordered so much off a certain website i have priority delivery so i don't
0: know how that's- <laughs> you know Um, If we have time, I'm going to tell the story about how I got all of these deliveries for Sex Fest goodie bags prior to to lockdown. And I think um, the box broke anyway. My neighbours think I'm wild, a lot wilder than I actually am. Yeah, so amazing amazing to have you Almaz and I remember when we first met we'd done one of our earlier decolonizing um, contraception events at SOAS um, so the School of Oriental and African Studies in London and Almaz like came up to me after the event I was going for dinner with some of my friends and we just hit it off and Almaz was like yeah like I want to just have a chat with you about my platform and what we do and that was like almost kind of two years ago now and Yeah, it was just it was like such an amazing kind of connection. Um, And just like the beginning of like meeting people that I was like, Oh, you know, it's it's so important to be interdisciplinary when we're talking about the things that we we are, and like learning from each other. So yeah, like, that's how how we got to know each other. Yeah, I just want I want the listeners to know a bit about you and kind of what what led you to to this place of work, really.
2: Um, so I'm primarily a writer and, um, was working within the advertising industry. So I've always written, but then in my spare time, I would just write raunchy stories. Um, I started doing it when I was at school and university. Um, and then I really just thought that, do you know what? I really want these stories to like appear in a, in a visual way as well. And I was working at an advertising agency where there were hardly any of us, the agency and we were really overstretched but it meant that we learned how to do loads of production things as well so I gained all these production and project management skills that meant I could like start KDD from from the beginning and uh, manage manage its conception and um, also write the stories as well which is my favourite part of it
0: for people that don't know, so I think Adam said at the beginning that KDD is Kaylee Daniels dated. So for the listeners that don't know, haven't read your stuff, can you explain like a little bit about what the platform is, like what the basis behind it continues to be?
2: Yeah, so Kaylee is um, a thirty-year-old woman of color who goes on a date or a series of dates with some um, people that she fancies, and she always hooks up with them and um has sex with them. And then the concept is that she goes to her desk, writing desk, and writes the raunchy stories. Which well that's me. I I go to my desk and I write <laughs> <laughs> to me. Not, <laughs> the fictional woman that I've created. Um and that was because um I wanted her to have a similar background to me, because up to that that point I hadn't ever seen anyone who was like me kind of engaging in casual sex and just being experimental. So I had the idea in, I think, 2017. But since then, there have been loads of, like, sex positivity things springing up. And um, obviously we have I May Destroy You and all that kind of things. Um, Because I really kind of got the impression that black people just didn't have, like, fun casual sex in that way. And I really thought I was the only one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And this is kind of um, where
0: I guess a lot of our paths and discussion points aligned in terms of like decolonizing contraception and you getting involved in the collective and you've written about it and we'll put links in the references and on our website and there are some already there just in terms of how the presentation of kind of like sexuality for black people particularly like dark skin black people is always like one of kind of performative sexuality it's really hard to come by positive representations of people like taking ownership of their sexuality and kind of like enjoying it and engaging with it in like a safe and fun and excitable pleasurable way and you've really added a lot in terms of us being able to discuss that Um, I think it's difficult to discuss that anyway in the mainstream because people are still quite stigmatizing about casual sex and people's pleasure but I think it's particularly difficult for 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 black people
2: yeah yeah so Kaylee's dates are a mixture of lots of different kinds of people only a couple of them are black but I don't think that particularly matters. I think that it's important to just show just a range of different people having sex with each other because that's what happens in real life.
1: Um. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean, I think that one of the things that made me be a little bit in awe and like like really inspired by you when I first met you when I first got like acquainted with your work and stuff is that we're from fairly similar background you know Ghanaian ancestry and pretty much grew up in Ghanaian culture albeit here or back in Ghana and we've kind of talked about this a little bit Annabelle this will also apply to you and your background about how sex and sexuality and even like casual sex or even the idea that like particularly, you know, those of us um, who identify alongside female Beth like, should enjoy and celebrate
2: our sexuality is, like, really frowned upon, right? Yeah. And that's your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I've always been just quite a sexual person. It's just just one facet of my sexuality, and I could just never understand why, (laughs) (laughs) just why it was, why we're not allowed to express ourselves in that way. Um, So I think I've always kind of gone against what was culturally expected of me.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was about 16, my mum had this really good friend who was from the Gambia and I remember that like when they found out like I mean they didn't have hard evidence but they sort of had like,
0: evidence you know.
1: <laughs> hard Nobody caught me in the act, but what I was trying to say is they had a feeling that, like, I was obviously, like, having sex. So they decided to sit me down, and basically I remember them being like, you know, if I'm having sex now, I'm going to be, like, spoiled goods when I'm ready to marry. And, and they sort of framed it in the sense that, like, if I have sex now, like, later on, I'm not going to want sex. Like, it was, like, I would expire. He's have or too something. much sex. Oh, going to be sex <laughs> I remember it being very weird, and it really like framed the way that I thought about sex and my interactions for like a really long time until I was about like nineteen, and I got involved in the Sexual Health Project, and that completely like changed my perspective of my life. But I remember it really like restricting the way that I expressed myself because although I didn't believe them, it was something that I could like hear the back of my head, right? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I'm
2: working on at the moment is I'm working on a um. I've got this, I've got someone who's good at maths, who's helping me, like, work out a promiscuity rating, because basically, I am, I'm someone that I, I don't really do monogamy, I'm not really into relationships, so it means that every time you sleep with someone new, you're adding to your body count. I have a theory about
1: the body count, I'm like, if, if you didn't, don't worry about the body count, if you didn't come, it doesn't count, so. <laughs> yeah. I like
0: um, but but yeah I mean you know people's abilities to have orgasms and things are different also I feel like we should jargon bust like so some people might not even know what a body count is but I think most people may do
1: body count is basically the number of people you've had sex with and like it depends like people measure in different ways so whether it's penetrative sex whether it's just you know Yeah, people measure it in different ways, but essentially it's it's the amount of people that you've quote unquote slept with or had penetrative sex with. And
0: honestly, it's such a problematic term anyway, like the the fixation on people's body count. And like, you know, even like online, it's like you see like if obviously your body counts high, then it's like your spoiled goods or something like that. And obviously we know this already, like conversely for guys if your body counts high like for cisgendered men then like oh it's like a it's a good thing and the other thing around body counts I'm literally like time and time again people need to understand that you could have a body count that's off the charts and be having trash sex every single time <laughs> so yeah it's really it's really wild I hate it but I don't know people might have other other feelings on it so you said your
2: promiscuity number oh, man, or well, promiscuity rating, rating. so I think that sometimes people as well forget that certain people might have just been in a relationship for years, but but then also within that, they might supposed to be in a monogamous relationship, but one person might have been sleep with other people. So it's trying to work out the parameters of the agreed situation because someone like me my body count is pretty high but it's like well I haven't really been in a relationship for like 10 years so when you when you work when you work it out by month it's not actually that many um, I'm not actually going to say what it is no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even think people should have to
0: say like it's an interesting thing isn't it that like actually part of the reason people don't want to reveal their body count is because society still stigmatizes people by numbers so like people don't want to declare that because you'll get a lot of stick for it which you know is is a problem within itself because Again, the other thing we have to talk about is like safe sex and that kind of thing. And if people are worried about, like, you know, people have those ideas around if you have a high body count, someone's dirty, which is obviously a really stupid term. But obviously, if you're having safe sex, and you can have lots of safe sex with people compared to s- somebody else who might have very few partners and contract quite a lot of infections, you know, which is actually what people's primary often concern is around sex and having lots of partners anyway. But then a lot of people <laughs> that I speak to have, maybe few partners but the sex that they're having is quite unsafe um yeah so there's exactly a lot. yeah
2: so I have I have Kelly Daniels dated branded condoms and um I just love giving them to new partners <laughs> I'm like, oh, I mean that is quite a flex
0: let's be honest
2: like it handing is. a new partner your own brand of
0: condom it's kind okay. of <laughs> It's quite it is quite a flex. So there's something that I really want to talk about. And you've written um, a great article for like for gallem on the issue um, around like sex positivity, and how how the, the racialization around it, but there's something that kind of crops up. And I had similar thoughts about it is that in terms of being sex positive, which doesn't just always mean, you know, being polyamorous or like having other, you know, different sexual experiences. One of the things that some people are interested in is, you know, exploring their sexuality and um, doing things that are more interesting, sometimes like be doing like BDSM or something like that. And A lot of people are worried about like fetishization as um, non-white people and entering into things like sex clubs or like going um, into like swingers parties or those kind of things and like people's reaction to them. And rather than the fact that they don't want to do it, I guess they're concerned that they're going to go there and they're going to have like either a racist or really unpleasant experience. And I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that or any like advice around, around that.
2: Absolutely. I was always interested in kind of getting on the sex scene for for years, but when I really thought about it, I didn't enter into it because I I just didn't want to be fetishized. Um and it was something that um I have been fetishized before and it's just it's just yeah, no one no one wants that. But then I did actually go to a sex party in pre pre-covid just um earlier this year and um, there weren't that many people of colour there but actually the space was really really welcoming and really like I did feel that it was a safe space and there's um. There's a, a sex party uh, brand called Crossbreed. The party that I went to wasn't actually that, but there's this brand called Crossbreed. At, at the moment for Black History Month, they're running a series of Zoom talks about just uh, educating people about that, like racial biases and like fetishization and oppression and that kind of thing. So I think within the sex and porn scenes, because of the Black Lives Matter uprisings, those scenes are taking on board a lot of what a lot of what the discourse as well which is which is really good obviously during covid sex parties are not allowed um i have been talking about about this with some of my like kind of friends who are interested in the scene and we're all just like hoping for for them to all come back but obviously we have to wait until it's safe to do so um
0: yeah so definitely um advise that people stay away from um intimate sex parties during this time um obviously due to the spread of covid i think we mentioned in a previous episode like preps has a really good guide about like what other things people can try as i mentioned really good time to like explore other things like solo sex with all of the lovely discounts lots of brands are doing online the, it's really good to hear that you know within kind of those those circles that people are using this moment to kind of self-reflect on how they've perpetuated different stereotypes and enacted prejudice because you did write a really good article about this also and we've spoken kind of in depth about how in the porn industry, often, especially with young people getting a lot of their sex ed from that material these days, it can act to kind of reinforce these stereotypes of like, Asian people is like meek and subservient and like black people is like predatory and like rough like and how that subconsciously feeds into people's psyche um and I'm not sure whether either of you have like specific experiences but like when you were talking something just sprung to mind for me that I think I was like probably like 19 or 20 like I went out with some of my friends and I was approached by this um white guy that was trying to chat me up and he basically started stroking me um, like stroking my arm and was like your skin's really lovely like have you ever like been with a white guy before and it was like that very typical fetishization it was really uncomfortable Um, he was touching me I didn't know him he like the first thing he asked me was like obviously quite racialized <laughs> and it just made me really upset I was like quite young at the time obviously you know wasn't wasn't interested somebody was touching me and we really obviously need to have like more conversations about like why that those keep on happening and increasingly more and more this is they're translated to like dating apps and things and nearly everybody i know um has a bad experience of you know being on a dating app and somebody just being like i've never slept with a black woman <laughs> do you want to be my first <laughs> and it's just like oh. awful stuff you know
2: Get in the sea. Get in the sea. <laughs> in the sea.
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously, somebody who grew up in England in a predominantly white town, Barnsley, look it up. Um, <laughs> it's obviously. Um, Things that I experienced in my late teens, mid-teens, you know, when I was being sexually active and like what my options were in terms of like partners or who to engage with and stuff. Obviously, my pool in terms of the black guys was very small because at that point, all the black guys were like my friends. We're practically family because if you're like the few Africans or black people in a really white town, you practically become family. So then it became a bit ill to like date people you consider like your brother or your friend or stuff like that, you know? Yeah, so definitely experience of dating white men. Definitely agree with you, Annabelle. You're this thing for them to conquer this, you know, as opposed to just treating you like a person, like an individual, and they just being, like, nice to you people quickly well yeah because of racism in society people immediately turn to that and obviously like media and and you know all the films and tv and stuff we see really feeds into that has given people that perception but also like colonialism so you've written about how race colonialism and sex sort of intersect to create this experience for us you talked earlier about like monogamy the fact that you know monogamy yeah. and heteronormativity and christianity sort of like enforced on us and that all comes from that era, right? Because our cultures, mm-hmm. in today's term, are perceived "quote unquote" backward. But when we, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'll let you take the mic.
2: <laughs> <I'm> not <laughs> read your article to everybody this podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wrote about sex and race and colonialism for British rogue earlier. Well, in the summer, in July yeah so um i'm I'm someone who um i'm not monogamous um i've i've tried monogamy and just failed um and I kind of felt that i was like broken in some way, um, but then when I was at university, I was I was I was doing some post-colonial units as part of my English degree, and kind of was doing lots of reading about pre-colonial African culture, and discovered that just the the culture at the time in Ghana and in loads of places in West Africa was to be polygamous. So like one man um, and a number of different women who would then all sleep with him, probably not at the same time, but maybe I mean if I mean some of them were probably having group sex probably because I mean that's fun but um yeah it kind of just made me realize that people where I'm I, my ancestors were from were not doing this whole nuclear family one one relationship forever um I was thinking oh that's really useful to know because there are actually many different ways to kind of be in relationships and to have to have children um I find it really interesting that the whole world now has become obsessed with like the marriage model that we have in the West, Um, because in the late 1800s there were still cultures where didn't didn't really subscribe to that. But I think due to like the the whole capitalist industrial complex that comes with weddings and like status, it's just um, it's just everywhere now, and it kind of it does make me a bit sad that. People are not really up for considering different ways to conduct their relationships. You know, you
0: bring up some um, really important points and important um, issues in that um, polygamy still exists in, in a lot of countries, including Nigeria, where my, my family's from. And it's not as common as it used to be, predominantly because of Christianity, um, and that being a monogamous um, kind of like institution and that being the expectation, but it still, it's still very much does exist. And obviously we live in a multicultural society and people do move from other places. I think one thing that people often do say, and we've got some references on our website about this, is that usually the way that polygamy is conducted is it's, you know, one husband and Multiple wives, and obviously people find that that institution generally quite sexist model, and there's less um, sexual freedom for women. However, I think there's been quite a lot of studies where there are other formats that have existed, particularly um, in sub-Saharan Africa, where actually you've had kind of like sister wives, you've had a cisgendered woman at the head of the institution, and things like that. And I do think it's important that we look at how things have changed historically because it's not something that's really talked about often, but people do struggle with monogamy is something that increasingly I think um, younger people are starting to discuss that that is not a model that has worked for them and some people as you rightly said like your own experience can go into monogamous relationships and feel like they're failing at them because they're not built that way they can't engage and then it doesn't mean that they don't like or love that person and it creates a lot of um pain and things like that so it's really good to have like yeah it's it's great that you're open to have that conversation um because I think lots of people feel the same way as you do but just don't um
2: open up about it yeah like even even people that i do see obviously i tell them that um i'm poly i kind of see other people and then trying to like have a really open conversation with them about it they find it really difficult because society doesn't teach us to be like to t- um to be really honest about what we want sexually so so many conversations that I try to have with people that I want to start seeing as part of my little I don't know rotation
1: <laughs> it's true like we are you know we're taught to like you know people should be our possessions and hold on to them and you know you know all these things are are, are, are all designed to obviously I think eventually you know for us to reproduce and continue to produce the labor force for this capitalist system that we need in. Cause if we completely reject the idea of just having monogamy or just like you said, nuclear families, well, who's going to be producing the labor that's going to be making the surplus for, you know, like it, it really does feed into all of that and people's freedom Absolutely. to explore as well sexually really, really ties into that. So like, I want to know, like, what advice would you have for? Well, I guess not just black people, but like a person who maybe has listened to this podcast and feels like, OK, maybe there are aspects to my sexual experience, intimacy, the way I feel about myself as a sexual being that I haven't explored for sort of societal, or religious, whatever factors and reasons. Like, what advice would you give them and what would you say are some of the things that they should, you know... Um, resources they can look at or go to things they can do to start to like open up and explore the size of themselves
2: so start off by um taking some time for self-pleasure and as you're going through what you might want whatever you want to do to give yourself pleasure maybe leading to an orgasm just think about what comes into your mind and be really honest about yourself with what gets you off and then also um you can with your partner you can tell your partner what your fantasies are and it can be really fun to just like talk about your fantasies together and and then you might find that if there's something that you want to explore together you both know that you'd be up for it so i always say as well it can be really difficult sitting in front of someone telling them your fantasy so um, you can like write you can like write lists or what works as well is like sitting back to back and just like just saying, saying your fantasy like to the wall, but knowing that you're you're connected with them by touching them through their back, it can be it can be really hmm. nice.
1: Annabelle, do you have any suggestions?
2: Um, so
0: I think one of the things that Alma said is kind of quite key is that I think communication is um, really important I think people don't really talk to each other sometimes about what they like or they don't like as much as they should and your likes and your dislikes obviously can change especially if you are in a monogamous relationship and you've known that person for a very long time you may actually want to try something new and and I think uh, that's something that people need to be really get really good at doing and acknowledging that things shift that you need to change things sometimes people need to spice things up some people just like like the same thing again and again and again and that's actually also right <laughs> as well but I think communication is really key and especially for younger people I think you know people say various people grow into their their, their sexuality at, at different different paces but it's really interesting, you know, um, obviously, young people can be quite chatty about everything else. But sometimes I think, you know, very awkward still in in sexual encounters, and really struggle to articulate what they like or do not like. So I think something that can be useful is doing that outside of that space. So you know, just getting used to saying words aloud, um, outside of that space, you know, like, I'd like it if you did x and or y. I like it when you stroke my inner thigh, so like when it comes to that like you're not really embarrassed about saying it because you feel like it's practice and you 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 can say it to that person. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with everything that um you've all said. I think that sometimes as well as Almas has said, it, it's helpful to know what you like on your own to be able to communicate that to somebody else. I think that's really important. I think it's also like making space for that person to be also, to also tell you what it is that they want. You know, I think that like if you, if you're able to do that, then it's mutually beneficial for the both of you. I'm going to be like totally honest. It's not something that I've really like come into the practice of doing it until like the last like year, year and a half. And even then, I feel like if you're so used to, I feel in some respects, a lot of people are so used to doing things the way that we've been told that they should do. So trying to do things that open us up to like new experience allows us to be free to explore is a thing that we have to keep challenging ourselves to do because it's not a thing that comes naturally. I've found like, even though we all want to be having the best sex ever. How to get there is not a thing that's coming naturally to us just because of the way that we've been socialized, right? So I think it's something that you have to keep reminding yourself to be like, you know what, I deserve great sex and i did, and the person that i'm having sex with also deserves to have great sex so i'm going to be in the habit of communicating or saying what it is and making space for them to also say what it is that they'd like so that we're both having a really great time and i think that it's something that you just have to get in the habit of doing because you can quite easily like fall back to doing things the way they we were before because you know it's what you know right and part of exploring mm-hmm. is, is a bit of an unknown right it's a little bit scary especially with with partners as well if it's somebody new you know like there have been times I've been like do I really want to be honest because I feel like maybe this person might judge me <laughs> for what I like you know And like sometimes I'm really <laughs> yeah. because you know and, and it's really messed up given everything we've said but I don't want this person to think that I'm some type of girl which is really messed up but, you know, sometimes you're like, I like this person. It's me opening about this thing. You know, eventually it's me opening about this sexual thing I like. As long as it's not anybody, anybody's going to turn that person off. Then that's obviously not the person I want to be engaging with. But sometimes it's a yeah. difficult balance to strike, particularly when a lot of the time, I'd say particularly lockdown and stuff, we're spending a lot of time forming sort of like emotional connections with people perhaps before we meet them right so it's like okay well if I'm really open honest about this thing is that gonna change and I found maybe sometimes it's best to be open honest about earlier on because it determines where that's gonna go I mean don't tell them everything you know (laughs) test, test the waters you know like drop a couple of keywords in there and see how they respond you know and I think that that helps you figure out whether this person might be the person that's also open to exploring with you um is what I'd say yeah.
0: yeah yeah and so on that note I just wanted to thank you Armaz, for kind of joining us and wanted to know if you have key kind of projects you mentioned a few already but things that you're working on for us to look out for any other things that you just want our listeners to to know about
2: okay so um Kaylee Daniels dated is currently on hiatus with new content what I forgot to mention earlier on is that um, there is um, a stream of content called body talk which is um, sexual health articles written by sexverts, which connect to a theme from each of the raunchy stories so we're currently on hiatus but if you visit the site it sends you to big cartel to you can buy pdf copies of all the raunchy stories so all 10 are available to buy via big cartel and we're currently in talks with a big brand about a collaboration I can't say too much about that at the moment but watch this space
0: amazing that's really exciting and um, we'll put all the links in our references and thank you so much for joining us Armaz it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure into the growth section after that amazing chat with Almaz and this week I just thought I'd take a quote from somebody I really really admire so it's from Maya Angelou um, and most listeners will be very familiar with Maya Angelou's work, um, wrote a whole series about her life and Often people just read I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings and don't, you know, know much about the rest of her life or her other works. Um, or people know about her poem Still I Rise, which is an amazing piece of poetry. But she just got some fabulous one-liners. I'm not even sure what this was in relation to, but she said, ask for what you want and be prepared to get it and yeah in relation to our whole topic that we've been discussing I think that sexually this is a really great phrase people don't often feel comfortable as we discussed stating what they want in terms of sexually um, especially if they're less experienced but actually it's really good to start talking to your partner or partners early and tabling that and saying what you want often you know people read body language and things like that. But it's always good to like check in with partners and you know check if they like something and also in terms of consent and just build up that communication so I just really loved it and a lot of people also don't know about Maya Angelou is that she was a sex worker and um, she writes really amazingly about her experiences with sex work and we know how much sex work is stigmatized but actually lots to be learned um, from sex workers and a lot of people don't understand what sex work is in terms of transactional sex and that it's not always explicit as like a sex um in return for money it can be sex in return for a lifestyle and that's something we see quite a lot in terms of low-income countries so yeah I just thought this is a really lovely quote
1: it it just really fits in the episode about asking for what you want and be prepared to get it I I feel like the the ask for what you want there, I think like it's clear, but the prepared to get it is the bit that's really getting me because sometimes you can ask for what you want, but if you're not prepared to receive it, well, then it's not, it's not going to happen. So I think that that two combination coming together is, is, it's a really good mantra or is a really good quote to basically like hold on to for life generally, or just like you said, in your sexual interactions as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely as well, as you said, in life generally, I think it also just holds for phenomenal purpose. And as I said, I don't know what it was specifically in relation to, but it just really resonated with me because even just day to day, I think a lot of people, including myself, suffer from like imposter syndrome and you're always underselling yourself or like just will ask for a little bit less than what you actually need when we're surrounded and I'll see people around me, ask for like well in excess of what
1: we <laughs> need and then we have to meet and talk about how people ask for triple what we ask for and, and not even delivering a quarter of what we said we deliver but hey we move
0: <laughs> um edam clearly has a has a, a specific topic on her mind Um, but no but gen genuinely you just have to you just have to be direct like and you need to ask people and tell people what you want, and sometimes the world surprises you. So, on that note, we out. Peace.